Alright, so today we are starting a brand new series. We're titling this message, this series, I'm Alright. Say this with me, I'm alright. Right. Go ahead and tell somebody, I'm alright. Right. Tell somebody else, I'm alright. Right. Now tell somebody else, you're alright. Listen, now I want you to consider this. Why are you all right? Why are you all right? Now get this. For some of us, for many people, we base if we're all right on circumstances. We base it on what we have. We base it on what people tell us. We base it on how we feel. But the scriptures, the gospel reveals that we're all right for a completely different reason, a much better reason. We're going to be in a series for the next several weeks on the book of Romans. And I want to encourage you to be here. I want to encourage you to tune in. I want to encourage you to study the scriptures, to not just simply go by what, by what I'm sharing with you because my opinion doesn't matter here. I want you to go to the word of God because the book of Romans has the power to set you free. Listen, if you don't get what the book of Romans teaches, you won't get anything about Christianity. You'll continue to strive to be all right based on what you feel, on what you're told, on what you're going through, on, on, on opinions, on whatever you do. And the scriptures give us the power of this gospel. They set us free. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Romans. And just a couple of quick uh, Bible facts, some history facts that I want to give you. Uh, about Rome. The early church in Rome was a church that uh, was established. Uh, th th we don't know who, was, who it was established by. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul had nothing to do with its establishment. And so when Paul writes the people of Rome, he's writing to a people as a means of introduction. And what's beautiful about the church in Rome is that it started organically. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It started by a group of Jews who used to travel to Jerusalem during their pilgrimages. And they began to hear about Jesus Christ and this gospel. And they began to go back to Rome, which was the epicenter of the world in that day. And they began to meet. And they would talk about the scriptures and they would talk about Christ and they would talk about his resurrection. And it began to change their lives. Now, the thing about it is that Rome, while it was the epicenter of the world, it was also uh, the biggest city. So it was looked to by many. It was populated by over a million people that comprised various cultures, various experiences, various beliefs, various religions, various ways of living. And so it, it was kind of like a melting pot. And it, it, the reason why that's important to understand is because with that, came a lot of different approaches to God. In Rome, uh, it was filled with shrines and temples and, and various rituals, and there were all types of uh, uh, practices, decadence and ritual pagan worship, um, and there was all type of brutality on display in the Colosseum, and all these things were looked upon as good. People relied on these things, but Rome was heavily influenced by Greek mythology. It was also influenced by what came to be known as empirical worship. That happened later on as Rome developed. And, and empirical worship is basically worshiping the emperor as if he's a god. Now, in that context, the church was established. The church of Jesus Christ in Rome was established. And it began to grow and it began to expand. But then in A.D. 49... 
uh, the church was persecuted. They were kicked out of Rome. They were kicked out of Rome by the emperor named Claudius. And they left for five years. So then five years later, they come back. And when they get to Rome, they find to their surprise that the church is still in existence. But now it's a bunch of Gentiles. It's a bunch of people who are not Jewish. These people are from all, uh, from all areas of the world. They're Romans. They're Greeks. Uh, they're, they're, they're from different parts of the world. And that brought in a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion because the Jews who returned said, hey, listen, yes, we're excited that you're here, but how are you observing the Old Testament laws? Are you circumcised? Are you observing these feasts? Are you doing all these things? And it brought a lot of contention. It brought a lot of division. And what it created was a sense for some people where they felt they didn't belong. Now, I want you to hear clearly where I'm going with this. They believed that they didn't belong. Do you know that we still live in a culture, in a world like that today, even in the church? Where for some people, you actually believe you don't belong? You believe you don't belong because you don't worship like someone else, because you don't sing like someone else, because you don't dress like someone else, because you don't act like someone else, because you've been through certain experiences. We disqualify ourselves and we believe that we don't belong. But here's the thing, back then in Rome and even today, despite those many obstacles, the church in Rome experienced explosive growth, but there was a ticking time bomb that was waiting to happen. And that ticking time bomb was all around this idea that you belong and you don't. It was going unaddressed. And so in, in light of that, Paul inspires, uh, God inspires Paul to write to, these, to, to this early church in Rome and address some things. All with the intent of uniting and clarifying what makes us right with God. See, if you're basing your all right based on how much money you got in the bank, if you're basing it on the people that are around you, if you're basing it on how good the circumstances are going at this moment, you're missing the point. You're missing what you belong to. You're missing what God has in store for you. And so this letter known as the book of, uh, of, of uh, Romans is was paramount then and is still today. You see, the world we live in today is a lot like Rome. The church is more diverse than ever. Would you agree? It's more diverse than ever. And with that diversity, we have so many differences in beliefs that we hold to as doctrines. Right? We have doctrinal standpoints. Well, what's your doctrine? And if you really think about doctrine today... There's no such thing as Baptist. There's no such thing as Pentecostal. There's no such thing as Episcopalian. The scripture says that we have all been made one in Christ. So if you are holding to a denomination, a doctrinal belief, I need you to understand that what you are holding to is the traditions of men. And that's a problem. Because think about it. Isn't it true that we have divisions in this world in the church based upon what doctrine you hold to? We argue about doctrines instead of majoring on what's most important. 
faith in Christ alone, right? And so the book of Romans sets aside traditions. It sets aside doctrines. It sets aside mindsets that people are prone to bring into the church. And it teaches us the foundations upon which a relationship with God becomes real, while at the same time enlightening us to some faulty beliefs that we can hold to that limit our understanding of God and his ways for a truly blessed life. And so today I want to invite you to join me in giving our full attention to God as he speaks to us from his word on the topic called to belong. Called to belong. And I just want to just say this to somebody who needs to hear this this morning. You belong. You belong. You are not excluded. You are included in what God has for you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to strictly look at Romans chapter 1 today, and then there's some other peripheral scriptures I'll use to support what we're learning today. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace. You got to remember that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. An apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. Notice how obedience to God comes. It comes from faith. It doesn't come by actions. For his name's sake. And you also, go ahead and tell somebody he's talking about you. Tell somebody else he's talking about me. If you're online, go ahead and type that, share that with somebody. Listen, and you are also among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome, I can translate that this way, to all people in all the world who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from the jump of his introduction to these people in Rome, to these diverse people, to these people who were divided by what they believed included and excluded people, Paul makes an explosive statement that must have taken many of the Hebrew Christians by storm. Paul says, you, meaning the Jewish believers, are also among the Gentiles, people like you and me who are not Jewish, who are called to belong. Paul is saying, not only do you belong to God, but everyone belongs to God. God has a place for all people. And this was a radical statement because while the Gentiles had come to be a part of the church world in those days and still today, they were not accepted by many of the Jewish believers. They were not accepted. They were cast out because they did not practice the Old Testament customs. They did not follow as a means to be right with God the things that they said were like circumcision or feast or certain meals or certain practices. But despite this, despite all these other things, Paul says in verse 7, a very important statement. He says, all are loved by God 
and called to be his holy people. I want to stress a very small word with a great impact. All. 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 This gospel, this uh, this, this freeing power of the, of the message of Jesus Christ, this healing that comes by God, this uh, resurrection from dead things in life that comes, that comes by God, all this is for all people. It's for all people, which leads us to an impor- important point. And I started off with this, and I'm going to stress this. You belong here. Listen closely to what I'm saying. You belong in the midst of everything that the book of Romans declares. You belong amongst God's people. You belong operating in God's blessing. You belong in his purposes. You belong to receive his provision. But the question is, do you know it? You know, a couple of weeks back during our our national night out community event that we were a part of, uh, I was sitting by, I was by the food truck that we have, and uh, one of our guys who has a barbershop bus brought it out. And so he introduced, he brings me uh, to, to this guy that, who I actually knew, who I know. He used to cut my hair when I had it, right? I don't need him anymore for that anyway. But uh, I ran into this guy, and I get to talking to him, and I come to find out that this guy has just lost his wife. And he has a 12-year-old daughter and a 3-year-old son heartbreaking. And I said to him, man, it must feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And he says, man, you have no idea. He says, to the average person, all these people that know me out here, they would think I'm good, that I'm all right. He goes, but I'm not. He says, I'm not. I'm hurting. And I began to share with him some portions of scripture and encourage him about God's will for his life and how God doesn't want him to stay in this place of grief. But instead, God wants him to go to a, through a walk of mourning which is healthy, but that it leads him to a day of joy. And so we began to talk about that, and, and he was very receptive to it. And I began to share with him the gospel. And then I said to him, man, can I pray for you? And then he stopped me right there. He says, man, with all due respect, he goes, I'm out here doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm not living my life right. I've made many mistakes. I've had a rough uh, uh, patch in life. I've been dealt a, a, wrong, uh, a, a bad uh, deck of cards for life. And he says, and I can't, I can't do that right now. And I said to him, brother, let me talk to you about the goodness of God. And I began to share with him that the goodness of God is not contingent upon our behavior. It's based upon something greater that God did through Christ. And as I was was encouraging him with that, man, you could see, man, that this guy was wrestling within. There was an internal conflict within because he couldn't reconcile the life that he had lived with the goodness of God. And that's where many people get stuck today. That's where many Christians get stuck today. And what I'm here to tell you is that God has done this for you, for me, for all people. And it's not based upon what you add to what Jesus did. And so it's for that reason that Paul states in Romans 1.14, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. He goes on to say in verse 15, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Watch this. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What makes us right with God is revealed. A righteousness, listen to this, that is by faith from first to last. It is only by faith, not by what you work. He says, just as it is written, the righteous, those that are right with God, here's how they do it. It's by faith. They live by faith. See, like this guy that I was telling you about, the early church in Rome had no concept of what it meant to be right with God. For the Jews, it was Christ, it was the law, and it was their rituals. That's what they thought made them right with God. For the Gentiles, it was, for, for, for non-Jewish people, it was Christ. But it was also their carnal desires. It was their pagan practices. It was their past experiences. And we tend to do the same if we don't have the right understanding. See, for some of us, it's Christ in my horoscopes. It's Christ in my old way of thinking. It's Christ in my denominational church doctrines. It's Christ and my desires. It's Christ and my performance. It's Christ and my behavior. It's Christ and how I talk. It's Christ and what I choose to show everybody. But none of that is useful. Let me encourage you, child of God, to not judge any man based upon how they behave. There may be a miss, there may be an error in their belief, but if they have put their faith in Christ, God has done something powerful. They just don't know it yet. And so Paul identifies the power that is at the core of all holiness, our holiness, our righteousness, and our ability to belong. He says, it's the power of the gospel that leads us. And also sustains us in this life of salvation. It's the gospel. It's not our behavior. It's faith in what Jesus has done. And you know what the problem is? For some of us, we put faith in what we do. No wonder we feel like garbage before God at times. It's not based on what we do. And so what we see here is that this proves that everyone, everyone Everyone, somebody say that with me, everyone. Listen, everyone qualifies to be in right standing with God. Everyone has the opportunity. Everyone has the invitation to belong. Everyone. Listen, on your worst day, when you feel like garbage, just remember this, you belong. When you've dropped the ball, you still belong. You still belong. You belong. You belong. You know why you belong? Because you are in the hands of the one that can't let you go. You belong to God. So why is there a struggle to believe and accept God's love and invitation to belong? Why is it so hard for some of us to look to God? And the answer is revealed to us in Romans 1, verses 18 through 25. 
Listen closely to what it says. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Listen to this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We're going to dig into this some more right now. Therefore, God gave them over, to, gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Listen, the primary reason why many people struggle with accepting that they belong to God is because we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We've put in place of the goodness of God what we think we add to what Christ has done. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We accept Jesus Christ. We believe we're saved, but then we say, now I have to continue to earn the good standing that I have with God. I have to continue to behave for God in order for him to bless me. I have to continue to look and act a certain type of way in order for me to still be God's child. Let me tell you something. My children could be in China. They could be in space. They could be in another universe. They are still my children and they still belong to me. The same is true about you. You still belong to God. But here's the thing. For you who might, fit, who might struggle to accept that you belong to God, that disbelieve God, what you're failing to realize is that the very indicator that God, that you know God, that you know of God, that you believe that there is a God is this, that you still have this inner consciousness, this understanding that points you to right and wrong. And here's what Paul's saying in Romans 1, 18 through 25. He's saying, listen, you know God, you just don't know it. You understand there's a witness within you that acknowledges the presence of God. And when you feel like something is wrong and you understand that there's something else that's right, that's God speaking to you. That's God reaching out to you. That's God still touching you. But you have a choice whether you exchange the truth for a lie. You can reject God. See, God is so good. That he doesn't reject you and I, but he honors our choice to reject him. You know what he does? He doesn't leave us, but he says, I'm going to leave you to the choice that you think is best. And what this started to create was a lot of problems in the lives of these people. 
in the lives of many people even today. It's what led to things like sexual morality. Paul goes on to talk in Romans chapter 1 how women began to exchange relationships with men for other women and men began to do the same. How all these other things began to arise. And listen, the, the breaking down of family didn't just start today. It was happening even back then. The church was being divided even back then. See, it's all error. All paths that lead to error find their root, find their basis, find their beginning in this. A rejection of God. It's saying, God, these desires of mine are more important and more true than what your word says. Than what your goodness is towards me. And so look, we're all called to belong. But we have to wonder why. Why are we chosen to belong even before we ever wanted God? Even when we choose things, people above God while serving him, why is it that we're still chosen? Why is it that we're still called to belong? Verse 5 tells us why. It tells us that through Jesus we received grace. We received grace. And I want to just take you to a portion of Scripture to illustrate the grace of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to just quickly recap this. I may read this or not just for the sake of time. But the Bible says that one day Jesus was in the home of a Pharisee, a religious leader named uh, Simon. He was well respected amongst the religious elite. And he invited Jesus to share a meal with him. And while there... This woman hears that Jesus is in the home of Simon. And the scripture in Luke chapter 7 clearly states that she was a woman that was known to be very sinful. And so we don't know the meaning of that, but what we do know is that a lot of people knew her for all the wrong reasons. And as a result, they excluded her. So she shows up at Simon's house, and she comes up behind Jesus, and she begins to weep as she falls at his feet. And the Bible says that as she's weeping, all her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And she begins to wash his feet. Listen, this is what they would do in those days. Not with the hair. You would wash. You would make sure that your guest's feet were washed. It was an acknowledgement of who they were, of their importance, of the value you place on. This woman takes her hair and she begins to wash his feet with her hair and her tears. And then the scripture says that she pulls out a very expensive bottle made of precious stones known as alabaster. And there was expensive oil in it. And she pours this perfume, this oil on his feet. She anoints his feet. And while this is happening... The scripture says that Simon thought to himself, if Jesus only knew who this woman is and what kind of woman she is. <laughs> and Jesus perceived that. And so he shared a parable. In this parable, he says that there were two people that owed money to a certain money lender. Right? And one of them owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50 and in this parable, the moneylender forgives them both their debts. And he asked Simon this question. Simon, who do you think loves the master more? And he says, I suppose the one 
who was forgiven more. And Jesus responded, you're correct. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 7, 44 through 50. He says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Listen, this woman knew according to the rules and religious customs that she did not belong in this room. She was not supposed to enter this room. So what brought her there? And from the parable, Jesus demonstrates that one thing that makes us acceptable to God. That one thing that makes us forgiven before God. It isn't what we pay back with our actions and guilt. Instead, it's our acceptance of his forgiveness because he loves us. This woman had faith. Jesus said it. He says, your faith has saved you. What faith? What faith? What was it about this woman's faith that brought her salvation before Jesus was even went to the cross and was resurrected? Think about this. What was it? This woman believed, she accepted that despite her many errors, she was loved and accepted by God. And so she turned to him with a pure act of worship. She believed what many of us still struggle to accept today. So what do we learn? I want to go quickly through this, but I just want to share a couple of, just three points on what we learn about our call to belong. The first thing we learn is that you don't belong because you are good. <laughs> you belong because Christ is good. I'm going to say that again. You do not, you don't belong because you are good. You belong because Christ is good. This woman was guilty and carried the weight of her reputation before all those that were in that room. But in that moment, she discovered that she was overqualified. She discovered that she had better qualifications than them. Hmm. You see... She was the only one that understood that there was nothing that she could do to make herself right before God. And so instead of attempting to earn the forgiveness of Christ, she focused on doing the only thing that she could do in response to his love. She loved him back. She loved them back. Listen, God's not asking you to change yourself. 
There's only one thing that God asks you to change, and that's by your way of choice. That's your mindset. And even with that, he gives you the resources to do that. We're going to dig into that in this series more. Don't have time to get into that. But if you have to change yourself in order to be right with God, you don't need Christ. And my friend, you are on your way to hell. Yeah, I said that. Because your relationship with God isn't based on Jesus. It's based on you. Strong words, right? But guess what? It's good news. Because it gives us all the opportunity to step away from this performance-based approach to relationship with God. We perform in all relationships. We perform for our husband. We perform for our wife. We perform for our employers. We perform for people. We perform for the norms of this world. It's not about our performance. Let me show you that from Scripture. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Watch this. Not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace. You know what grace is? Grace is you being guilty and not receiving what you deserve. You're guilty before the court of law. You can't get around it. You are guilty as charged. Now here's what Jesus did. He said, and here's what we need to understand. In God's court of law, it's not based upon guilt that he judges. It's based upon the payment. Who can pay for this? And here's the thing. You and I cannot pay for the issue of sin. No man can. So watch what Jesus does. He says, I'll take that guilt. And I'll take the punishment. The scripture tells us in the book of Isaiah that he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the, the chastisement, the punishment, the correction necessary for our peace was upon him. And what we received was by his stripes, we have been healed. It's all based upon Jesus. It's not based upon you. He says this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Consider what the scriptures are saying here. Before you and, ever, you and I could ever do anything to walk in holiness and be right with God, God already did it for you and I. When you understand that there's only one thing you and I can do, it's either accept it or reject it. There's nothing else you and I can add to that. There's no rosary. There's no prayer. There's no amount of reading the Bible. There's no amount of behavior. There's no amount of change that you can make on your own. There's nothing that you can add to the gospel. There's nothing that you can add to the sacrifice of Christ. And my friend, if you still believe that you can, you are deceived. You are rejecting Christ. Not my words. Consider the scriptures. So don't make the mistake of trying to do good to be accepted by God. 
Instead, growing your faith that God's grace is greater than your greatest mistake. I said God's grace is greater than your greatest mistake. The second thing I want to leave you with here today is don't let what you see and others say keep you from continually turning to Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Don't let what you see and others say keep you from continually turning to Jesus. Listen, this woman, for her to enter that room in those times, according to the customs of the law and the Hebrew nation, for her to enter into that room while they were dining was scandalous. It was shameful. It was a violation of etiquette. And it implied by her actions that she had no self-respect for herself as a woman. Now watch this. None of that stopped her from stepping into the room. Additionally, for her to let her hair down and to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair was, 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 it was scandalous. You know why? Because according to Hebrew thought, a woman's hair is her glory. And so you see, her response teaches us a valuable lesson. See, the, to everyone in the room apart from Jesus, this woman was irredeemable. She was an outcast. She was looked down upon for her actions and her reputation, her past. But her response teaches us a great and valuable lesson. See, had she focused on what she appeared like before these men and how she even saw herself because of it, she would have never gone to Jesus. Listen, you are not so far gone in your failure that you are out of Christ's reach. I need to say that again. You are not so far gone in your failure that you are out of Christ's reach. People will always see failures. Can I tell you something? You and I will see our failures. We're experts at that. We talk to ourselves about that. But I want you to see this, that in God's eyes, that does not make you a failure. You see according to your beliefs. You see according to your experiences. You may still see according to your religion. You may still see according to the doctrines of men. But the book of Romans starts us off by teaching us that God sees differently. God sees you, and you know what he sees when he sees you? Jesus. And thus, because the sacrifice of Christ has completely redeemed you, restored you, renewed you, transformed you, healed you, God looks at you and he says, 
That's my righteous child. You belong. You know what some of us need to do? We need to cast away the lenses that we've held to. That trump the word of God. We need to destroy that point of view. And we need to accept that Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's enough. The last point I want to leave you with here today is this. It's that sin cannot stop God's grace from flowing. Sin cannot stop God's grace from flowing. But God's grace will stop sin. I'm going to say that again. Sin cannot stop God's grace from flowing. But God's grace will stop sin. Listen closely. The Jews in the early church in Rome believed that their Gentile brethren were disqualified from relationship with God because they did not follow the law and were therefore deemed sinful. Let me put it to you this way. In today's day and age, in the Christian world, here's what that sounds like. You're not following the Bible to the letter. So you must therefore be a sinner. Follow that. I don't see you doing what the Bible says. I don't see that part of the Bible changing your life. I don't see you transforming in that area. So you must still be a sinner. But God's word declares that sin and error cannot put a stop to the power of God's grace. I'm going to teach on this a little bit more when we get to this chapter, but I got to point it out to you. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says this, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Listen closely. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring, listen to this, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to what the scripture is saying. Apart from God, yes, you were a sinner. But even in that place where you were a sinner, his grace was greater. And the moment that you accepted him as Lord and Savior, listen to what the scripture says, what now reigns in your life, what now operates in your life is the righteousness of God. So you need to understand this, that if you want to declare, I'm all right, then what you are really declaring is that what God has done has made me right. And I'm not wrong before his sight. Ever. Now I'm going to tell you this as we close today. I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. But I recognize that for some of you, you are struggling with this message. You're struggling to accept that you are right with God because you're still looking with the wrong lenses. And what I want to leave you with here today is this. I need you to consider this. Whose message are we talking about? Is it mine 
or is it God's? If you're struggling with this, I want you to understand that what you're struggling with is accepting what God has done through Christ. You are rejecting Christ. My friend, let me give you a warning and some good news. Don't do it any longer. This grace, this goodness of God is free. But you must accept it. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.